All right, buckle up, because this next guy is one of the most hateful bastards on my list. Oh, Thomas Jefferson assumed the presidency in 1801 with Aaron Burr as his vice president under the Democratic-Republican at the time, both the same party, even though the division was beginning to get wider, um, during his, what would I say, administration. My first charge against Jefferson is human trafficking. Boo. <laughs> Monticello, Jefferson's little um, palace, <laughs> big palace, was built atop a long tunnel for the slaves, so the slaves couldn't even come in through the back door at Monticello. They came in through a tunnel. Um, Jefferson would perform this party trick when he had company over, where he would have an empty bottle of wine, and he would open a panel beside the fireplace, put in the empty bottle, and magically a new bottle of wine would appear to astonish the people at the party. Some poor slave was hiding in a tunnel underneath Monticello, just waiting for an empty bottle of wine to replace it like a freaking magic trick. One time Jefferson has a visitor, um, you know, and we can assume that he selected this visitor to show around what he usually tried to hide from his visitors, which was the slave um, neighborhood around Monticello that he called Mulberry Row. Um, And the visitor said, that Mulberry Row would only appear poor and uncomfortable to people of northern feelings. So, Jefferson, in 1789, he planned to shift away from tobacco. This was while he was uh, the U.S. minister to France. Um, Tobacco, which was a sacred plant to the Native Americans, this is where we learned about the plant from. The white people developed such a love and addiction to tobacco that uh, people decided, well, the more the better. Let's get rich from this stuff. It's not a sacred plant anymore. It's a commodity. So Jefferson and his slaves, well, Jefferson's slaves, grew as much tobacco to make money as they could. When you grow tobacco like that, it's such a powerful plant, it sucks all the nutrients out of the soil. He couldn't grow enough crops to feed the slaves anymore, and he was starting to lose money. So he switched over to wheat, which a lot of the plantations were doing. George Washington had to do it 30 years before Jefferson. Washington tried hemp and a couple other crops before switching over to wheat. Now, growing wheat is a more specialized industry. Instead of just having everybody out there, you know, picking tobacco, now you've got to have specialized jobs, different training. The slavery became much more hierarchical, and it um, produced a lot more resentment among the slaves. As Secretary of State... In the 1790s, Jefferson, who was a big proponent of abolition, of the end of slavery, he even was the one credited with writing, all men are created equal, which was so shocking at the time that certain southern states had to change it to all free men are created equal. In the 1790s, he becomes mysteriously silent on slavery. Now, if we look into that, why Jefferson might have gotten quiet in the 1790s on slavery, we look at 1792. In a letter to Washington, Jefferson realizes that he makes a dependable 4% profit every year from the birth of black children. Mm. So just by his slaves reproducing, no matter what the markets do to his industry of grain, he makes 4% profit just because the slaves are reproducing. 
Another letter early in the 1790s in a communication to an acquaintance who'd suffered financial losses, Jefferson advises he should have been invested in Negroes, and if he has any cash left, every farthing of it should be laid out in land and Negroes, but which besides a present support because of the jobs they can do, bring a silent profit of from 5 to 10% in this country by the increase in their value. The formula that Jefferson stumbled upon became the engine of Monticello and the entire nation's slaveholding industry. So while this man is being credited for his high thoughts of freedom, he just changed the, the whole industry of slavery into a much darker realm. In case you... Uh, haven't read between the lines here what I'm talking about. We're talking about breeding slaves now, not just owning them, not just working them, making money off a of human flesh, breeding them like dogs. Like slave husbandry. Yeah. Um, in 1796, Jefferson profited from a new slave industry because the um, – what am I trying to say? The wheat was not bringing in enough money from him. So he started a nailery, making nails. It was hot, smoky, tedious work, and he was in direct competition with the local penitentiary. As punishment, the penitentiary was putting people to work making nails. Jefferson decided he could compete with that with his slaves. After all, he owned people. Um, a letter recently surfaced describing 10, 11, and 12-year-old boys, slaves, whipped to make them work in the nailery. If they didn't go to the nailery, which was hard work, they were whipped and whipped until they did. Um, this is how Monticello play, paid its grocery bills. This information was deliberately deleted from published records until recently when it surfaced. Um, as vice president in 1798, um, there was um, later in the 1840s a memoir written by Isaac Granger of this time. Um, Isaac Granger, now freed in the 1840s, describes the winter of 1798 when the nailery halted because Granger refused to whip slaves anymore. He was a slave put in charge of the other slaves at the nailery. Colonel Thomas Mann Randolph, who's Jefferson's son-in-law, tried to protect Granger from Jefferson's wrath. The workforce resisted, but Granger would not whip them. In other words, he was dealing with a revolt, and it was his job to get the people working, and he just refused. He's like, I'm not going to whip these people. They don't want to work. They're slaves. I, I, you know, I know it's my job. I know I'm like, I don't know what I'm risking here. I can't whip another human being. Um, Jefferson eventually found out and called a professional to whip the slaves, most likely the white overseer, William Page, who ran Jefferson's farms across the river and had a reputation for his cruelty. Now the nailery was going again. 1800, a man named Gabriel Lilly arrived peacefully at Monticello, and for a while everything was peaceful and running smoothly. But soon Gabriel Lilly became so cruel that even Jefferson started to worry about him. He told Lilly to show restraint on the slaves, but keep production up among the young boys in the nailery. He replaced Lilly with William Stewart, who was a drunk Irishman who was known to show leniency. He was pretty easy on the slaves, but production declined, so he brought back Lilly. Rather than have, uh, he would rather have the cruelty if it profited him. He warned the Irish joiner master next door of Lilly's methods so the violence that he might see wouldn't shock him. A fight broke out between two boys when one tricked the other by hiding a bundle of rod. Um... The other boy who was getting the trick played on him was so terrified by how Lily, who was such a cruel slave master, might react that he ended up panicking. He fought the first boy and ended up smashing the other boy's skull in. The boy that got his skull smashed in miraculously survived. 
Jefferson sold the boy south to terrify the other boys. That's about the worst thing you could do to a slave. They were terrified of what happened down south. So he took this boy who was terrified of Lily and sold him down south as an example. A 1941 author spins the tale. He talks about this event, and here's what it says in The Way of an Eagle. In this beehive of industry, no discord or revilings found entrance. There were no signs of discontent on the black shining faces as they worked under the direction of their master. The women sang at their tasks and the children old enough to work, made nails leisurely, not too overworked for a prank now and then. <laughs> oh, what a lark. Oh, God. Jefferson had sex with at least one slave named Sally Hemming after the death of his wife, Martha. Turns out Sally Hemming was three quarters white and Martha brought her along. It was Martha's slave. Um, it was also Martha's half-sister. So Martha's father was a slave raper. Now, what I find most interesting here is she stayed a slave. This is Martha's half-sister who was not given her freedom. She's still a slave. And then Thomas Jefferson, after his wife dies, starts having sex with a woman who cannot say no. She's still a slave. This is rape. He did not give her her freedom. He wanted her a slave. Boo! Boo! What an asshole! <laughs> Nasty. And think of the sexual scandals we have nowadays. Look at this. Jefferson, this is a framer. 1804. Nail production soared under Lily. Jefferson was raking in the money. He whipped a 17-year-old boy uh, slave three times in one day for being sick for three days. Now, we don't know honestly, if the slave was sick or not. I read about some of the ways slaves would revolt. Sometimes they'd steal things. Sometimes they'd play sick. They would try to resist slave, uh, slavery in the small ways they could. But it sounds like this guy was legitimate, legitimately sick because there was this guy, James Oldman, who was a white carpenter who was caring for the boy. Um, he protested this boy being whipped, and he complained about it to Jefferson. The slave ran away. Now, Jefferson didn't slave, send the slave catchers after him, but he tried to persuade him through Oldman to return. The slave refused. Not only was Lily not reprimanded for whipping the boy, but he demanded a raise. Jefferson didn't want to give it, but he wrote a friend that Lily, quote, is as good a one as can be. Certainly I can never get a man who fulfills my purposes better than he does, end quote. Now, in Jefferson's second term as president, and by the way, he was president with the information I just conveyed about Lilly. Um, during his second term in 1805, Jefferson's slave, James Hubbard, worked hard, saved, bought clothes to disguise himself. Now, I just wanted to tell this story about James Hubbard because this is such a good story of resistance. Um, he worked hard, he saved, he gained trust, he uh, got, you know, secretly clothes that made him look really good, and he won a trusted job of hauling. And then, when he found his moment, early in 18. 05, early in Jefferson's second term, he escaped. He was captured and returned. Then he was caught stealing nails, trying to save up more money for another escape. Jefferson forgave him, benevolent Jefferson, when Hubbard converted to baptism. Jefferson kept at least one spy in his slave community. Imagine what that does to undermine the trust in the community. Already the hardships of slavery, and now you know there's, there's people and you don't know who they are that you can't trust. Jefferson's given them special favors to tell on you. In 1808, um, the U.S. bans the importation of slaves, which leads to a new industry. Now, this is one of the reasons we're taught that Jefferson was such a great guy, because no more was he going to accept slaves from other countries. But keep in mind what I just told you. 
What does that mean for the U.S. economy when he's figuring out that breeding slaves brings in money? He's almost got the monopoly on it. He has got the monopoly on this idea, and he's found a new way for people to make money that is even more dehumanizing than slavery was before. That's pretty fucked up. It's sick. In 1809, after Jefferson was president, he retires from his presidency and moves the nailery downhill away from his house just 100 yards from the overseer's house. So now the slaves have to work right underneath the house. There's not a moment away from their slave master. And this way, Jefferson can take the unpleasantness, still profit from it, and move it downhill where he doesn't have to look at it. Um, In 1810, one year later, James Hubbard vanishes again, makes a final escape. Jefferson sent a slave tracker who brought him back where he was whipped, jailed, and then sold to an overseer. Mm. Um, and by the way, in 1811, Spain abolishes slavery. So now we're, we're the nation that uh, prides itself on its reputation for liberty. Spain has beat us now. Abolished slavery. Cuba was the one country under Spain that rejected it and kept its slaves at this time. In 1817, Jefferson's old friend and Revolutionary War hero, Thaddeus Kuzosko, a Polish nobleman, died and left Jefferson in charge of his fortune with the instructions to purchase all of Jefferson's slaves' land and some farming equipment to start a new life. He was a passionate abolitionist. Jefferson, also with a reputation as being an abolitionist, even though he owned slaves, declined the job. He writes in one of his memoirs, A child raised every two years is of more profit than the crop of the best laboring man. In this, as in all other cases, providence has made our duties and our interests coincide perfectly. With respect, therefore, to our women and their children, I must pray you to inculcate upon the overseers that it is not their labor, but their increase, which is the first consideration with us. In other words, breed them Negroes. That was Jefferson's bottom line. Wow. In 1826, Jefferson died, freeing a handful of slaves in his will, including Joseph Fawcett, but not his family. Fawcett tried to buy his family. He struggled to buy his family and managed to get his wife back and three children after a lot of effort. His oldest child was given by Jefferson's will to his grandson, and three of his daughters were sold, one of whom later escaped. It said of Jefferson concerning his uh, relationship with slavery by the abolitionist Moncure Conway, Never did a man achieve more fame for what he did not do. And my second charge against Jefferson, violating indigenous rights. Now, where to start? Let's start with (laughs) 1776 through 1779. Jefferson promoted Indian removal, recommending forcing the Cherokee and the Shawnee out of their ancestral lands to west of the Mississippi River. Jefferson said, Indian removal is the only way to ensure the survival of Native American people. In other words, getting them out of the way of the settlers is good for the Indians. It's for their own good. This wasn't implemented until years later under President Jackson, but it was Jefferson's idea. Jefferson believed that Indians, though equal to whites in mind and body, were culturally and technologically inferior, and that Indian land should be taken over by whites. In 1792... Um, at the end, as he quit being Secretary of State, um, right at the end, as Secretary of State, he claimed the Doctrine of Discovery, which disregards indigenous land rights and was developed by European states, um, as inter- and he said it was international law applicable to the United States as well, which this basically says is if a white person shows up and there's nothing but indigenous people there, they've discovered it. It's theirs. So it totally disregards any rights the indigenous people would have on their own land. 
1801, Jefferson, now president, his first act as president was to make a deal with Georgia that if they released legal claims to discovery, what he just, uh, as Secretary of State, kind of implemented and encouraged, in lands west, then the U.S. military would expel the Cherokee from Georgia. The Georgia already had a standing treaty with the U.S. government guaranteeing their lands. The New Deal that Jefferson struck violated it. In 1803, two years into his presidency, into a private letter to William Henry Harrison, soon to become a president himself, Jefferson encouraged trade with the Indians to put them in debt to get their land. They can either leave us or become us. Now he's employing the very tactics that he and others had learned when Britain imposed this on the Americans and it was so wrong. He was thinking, well, that's a pretty good idea. Let's do it to the Indians. So instead of going outright warfare with these powerful tribes, and we might not win this war, um, let's trade with them, get them addicted to our goods, and then we have them under our thumb. By the way, isn't that a tactic that seems to be used on us now? You know, we ran out of Indians to uh, fight, so now it's... Think of how many poor people are addicted to goods. Think of how many people don't rebel right now, no matter how much injustice they see, because they don't know how to do without the crap that they buy at the store. Jefferson wanted to flood the border along the Mississippi River with white settlers. The country was still recovering from the Revolutionary War, and the plan was to coerce Indians to assimilate and become dependent on America rather than go to war with the powerful tribes. This was called the Enlightenment Plan. So in other words, Jefferson was saying, this is what the smart people do. We don't go to war. That's vulgar. We undermine their community. We make them dependent. In 1803, the same year, the Louisiana Purchase was made. Jefferson bought the land from Napoleon, who needed money to finance the Great French War. Now, Spain had sold this territory to the French. They didn't want the Americans to have it. America was getting a progressively bad reputation. They didn't want to empower whatever the hell was happening that was calling itself the United States of America. So Spain was pretty upset when the French turned around, needed the money, figured they were so far away and so busy they couldn't keep this land anyway, and sold it for pretty cheap to Jefferson. Um, The U.S. actually had to pay more money to some of the Indians on the land to pay them off so they wouldn't fight than they did the French. Some of the Indians, like Tecumseh, fought the sale. A lot of the tribes that were on this land that were not consulted whether they agreed with this or not said, no, this land is not for sale. Of course, they were not listened to. The land stretched from the Mississippi River to the Rocky Mountains and nearly doubled the size of the United States. Um, Jefferson immediately sent Lewis and Clark west to establish U.S. sovereignty to try to get a stake in the land further. (laughs) The land greed was just rampant, and especially this new branch of the Republican Democratic Party that became the Democratic Party was especially greedy. Um, Let's see, what else do we have under this charge? (laughs) Okay, in 1818... No, no. I was under another president. My third charge against Jefferson is fake news. (laughs) So we hear so much from Trump, you know, that's fake news. It's fake news, fake news. Well, Jefferson was the framer of fake news. Listen to what this little bitch did. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't believe this and I found this out. 1791. Secretary of State Jefferson, this is under the Washington administration, hires poet Philip Fernew, among other people, to write bad things in the paper about Adams, Hamilton, Secretary of Treasury, Alexander Hamilton, um, John Adams, the second president before him, and George Washington, the first president. 
Oh, I was just going to say um, Hamilton and Adams were the Federalists, and George Washington kind of sided with the Federalists for the most part. When Washington asked him to do something about Fresnel because he knew he was under Jefferson's employ, Jefferson refused to fire him and lied to the President of the United States, swearing, in the presence of heaven, I quote, that he had nothing to do with it. This was during the Whiskey Revolution, around that time where there was a lot of upset. He fomented so much rebellion. He actually was uh, butting heads so much with Secretary of Treasury Alexander Hamilton that he threw a little bitch uh, tantrum and said, I quit. I quit. I'm not going to be Secretary of, of Defense anymore or Secretary of State. I'm going to Monticello, and me and my friends are going to make trouble for you guys. Mm. So, indeed, he does. He starts forging letters. He even forges letters uh, of George Washington, supposedly during the Revolutionary War, letters that were supposedly from Washington to England, saying he missed the time of England's rule to discredit Washington. It pissed people off so much they were making effigies of the politicians with nooses around their necks. They hated the U.S. government. They threw rocks at Hamilton when he had the nerve to show up at a public event in New York, and he had to flee. This was all because of Jefferson, who wouldn't sign his name to anything. He was hiring other people to do it from the safety of his mansion, Monticello. Let's see. Jefferson, Jefferson, Jefferson. Mm, Okay, in 1802. (laughs) So, you know, Jefferson's getting all this fake news started. Now he's the president. In 1802, editor by the last name of Calendar, reported the truth of Jefferson's slave concubine. He published that Jefferson was sleeping with his slave, Sally Hemming. By the way, Calendar was one of the people that was employed by Jefferson many years ago to spread this gossip about the other people. <laughs> now Jefferson can't stand fake news, Ooh. and he condemned it, though he'd formerly paid him to expose Hamilton's scandals. So, For that reason, I condemn Jefferson for fake news. And I believe that leads me to my last charge, which is abuse of power. Here's my case for Jefferson's abuse of power. He's an asshole. He's an asshole. (laughs) Case closed. No, no, I've got more. So as president in his first year as president, 1801, Jefferson says... However, our present interests may restrain us within our own limits. It is impossible not to look forward to distant times when our rapid multiplication will expand itself beyond those limits and cover the whole northern, if not the southern continent, with a people speaking the same language, governed in similar form by similar laws. This was manifest destiny summed up in a paragraph, and this led to all kinds of of accelerated horrors upon the people of this land. When you consider what that means to spread one way of life over other people who don't want to live that way, one language over other people who have their own language, they've been speaking and they're proud to speak it. Jefferson was encouraging the country to force themselves upon every single corner. And indeed, America has continued on with Jefferson's vision to this day. In 1801, um, as Teresa alluded to, the first Barbary War, um, Jefferson dispatched Marines to the Berber nation of North Africa to persuade Tripoli, and this is that song we hear from the Marines, from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. That Tripoli. That Tripoli. (laughs) To release U.S. sailors held hostage and to end pirate, I put pirate in quotes because we probably called pirate anybody that was making money in a way that didn't profit us, Attacks on merchant ships. 
Now, I put this as an abuse of power because what the hell business do we have around Africa? Um, you know, it's just why were the merchants there in the first place? Apparently, they weren't wanted. <laughs> so this is adds to my case of the manifest destiny and the abuse of power. We are already spreading into places we don't belong. We're not welcome. We will not accept limits. And this was considered a heroic thing. In 1804, the Electoral College was ratified by the Congress. And this was under Jefferson. The Electoral College, which has plagued us to this day. The Electoral College basically decides by representatives of each state um, who's going to be the president. Now, sometimes that aligns with what the popular vote goes along. And then the popular vote can feel like, ah, we got the president that we voted for. It works. But... Time and time again, we see that the Electoral College sometimes goes another way. And who do you think has the right to pick the president if the popular vote goes against the Electoral College? The Electoral College. I've seen it happen twice in my own lifetime. George W. Bush versus Al Gore. And now Trump versus uh, Clinton. And still it stands. And it took effect and took root under Jefferson. Now, you'll find reasons for this. They say that some people were ignorant of the candidates. They couldn't make it to the polls, so they have representatives to do this job for us. It's framed as a service. Well, nowadays, everybody can make it to the polls. We all have TV. We all have radio. And yet this thing is still on the books, and we still accept it, and we still tell everybody, get out and vote. Um, So I think this was just a way for the government to make sure that the right decisions to keep the right people in power keep getting made. And, you know, if the American people get to, like, feel like they voted and, you know, their candidate got picked, all the better. Best way to control people is to make them feel like they have power, not to subjugate them. Let's see if we've got anything else on Jefferson. No, that's my case against Jefferson. So, uh, yeah, that sleazy bastard has no right to be our leader. Oh, my God.